a quote from the Buddha. appears in the Anguttara Nikaya, the collection around numbers, the section on threes. Enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed, with mind ensnared, People aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both. They experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is Nibbana. Visible in this life, here and now, immediate, inviting, attractive, to be experienced by each wise, being for themselves. Blinded by greed, hatred and delusion, mind ensnared, overwhelmed, we suffer. individually and also collectively. These conditionings of mind, tendencies, conditioned tendencies that seem so real, that sweep us away, of attraction and aversion and delusion, misunderstanding the whole thing. That that when those forces of grasping and rejection, what's called lust or greed, having to have something, mine, aversion, hatred, the imagining that if I just get rid of something, someone, circumstance, a group, then I'll be safe, I'll be well, I'll be happy this grasping and rejection, this underlying delusion of ownership, that this is my body, my power, my wealth, my, my experience. that leads to suffering, to our own ruin and the ruin of others. We, we can experience this suffering in our own lives and suffering in the world, this conditioning, this can infect whole systems, so that whole systems of uh, Imagining that we that, uh, we own things, can just do whatever we want to do to the earth, extracting minerals and resources because it's mine for profit, without uh, care and concern for impact. What is the impact? Can be so blinded we we don't even can't even own up to or realize the trajectory of destroying our own precious home, our ecosystem, earth. As we were blinded by by profit or power, accumulation, 
systems of uh, infecting mind. But the Buddha talks about that when this habitual, compulsive, grasping, owning, seeking happiness, this is called birth, by, by leaning on power, wealth, pleasure, circumstance, imagining that is the way to well-being. It's birth. But because the nature, the essence of Mother Nature is shifting and changing, the Dharma, the way of things, It's always becoming otherwise, that what we take to be me and mine, my power, my circumstance, keeps shifting, changing, eluding, so that we have to keep desperately trying to refill, replace. But in so doing, the reality becomes objectified. What is true, real, important is out there to be controlled, manipulated. propped up, we lose touch with an underlying sacred dimension which underlies and holds and embraces all of life. The Buddha talked in this quote that I read that even in a moment when we give up this compulsive grasping and rejecting an ever-present suchness, a reality, what the Buddha called Nibbana, or the Amatta Dhamma. Amatta, Matta means dying, Ahmatta means undying. Deathless. An underlying, ever-present, luminous suchness reveals itself. which is overlooked when we're so busy getting somewhere, as Aaron, Aaron was reminding us this morning, this, as we start to tend to, notice, be with ourselves with a, with a f- kind, friendly, attentive, patient, listening, awareness, we'll, we'll, we'll notice that there's a a momentum, what the Buddha called bhava, B-H-A-V-A, which translated as becoming, the idea I'm, I'm getting somewhere. Don't bother me now, I'm on my way to Nibbana. There's nothing evil about that. But when we lean too far forward, the good stuff is, is like the carrot hanging in front of the donkey. It keeps us going, there's energy there. But we're overlooking the treasure that's right here when we're leaning too far forward or when there's the sense of having to get rid of. That aversion deludes us that if I just get rid of that, then everything will be okay. The Buddha is teaching that this Nibbana, and we'll be chanting it in, in the morning, it was one of the protection chants we did last night. It was a, a passage, these qualities of the Dharma that are recited in this quote from the Buddha appear again and again and again and again in the Theravada scriptures, in the Mahayana scriptures, all the different Buddhist traditions talk about a dimension that's always here in now. What's called the Sanditiko Dharma. Here it was translated as visible in this life. Actually, Sanditiko just means it's 
it's visible always, always here and now. Sandittiko means it's always here. Akaliko means timeless. It's immediate. Translated here is immediate. We might have a sense of time, but that's a conceptual, a construct of time of, oh, it's, I don't have enough time. I've got, how am I going to get to the finish line in only seven days? Seven days, I only have six days. Or, my God, how long is this going to last? That first day was an eon. Six more eons. Long time, short time. But all of that sense of time, those thought constructs are arising and ceasing within a timeless, immediate suchness, a knowingness, a listening, an awareness. These are different words about that which underlies, that which receives and holds everything. This undying, peaceful, nibbana sanditika, always here and now, akaliko, timeless, ehipasiko, I love this next, here it's translated as inviting, but it's a beautiful word, Pali word, ehi, ehi means come. He's saying one dimension of this reality is its open-armed, welcoming us. Come, ehi, pasiko, come see. Come. Don't need special passes, special cards, special sign-up sheets, special colors, special sexual orientation. special age group. It's ehi pas, this dhamma, this profound root source of the way things are is ehi pasiko, saying come see. Opanaiko, here it was translated as attractive. It means it, it deepens. When we tend to the way things are, that somehow when there is a way, though, of being blinded by the appearance of things, that this is what the ensnared with greed, hatred, and delusion, when we're imagining that we're going to get hold of and get rid of, then we're being swept along by the appearance of things. But when there is a taking refuge, a subtle shifting of our alignment, our center of gravity to Buddha, to awareness. How is it now? Awareness of how is it now? Things arising and ceasing. This alignment with Dharma, again and again and again. That's what Sangha is about. Sangha is about remembering. It's about befriending again and again that which is skillful, that which is patient, that which is friendly, and then trusting, deepening our capacity to trust that there's something sacred and special right here in just the perfect perfection of how things are now. So though we'll be making effort, introducing various practices in this retreat, I want to emphasize that it's not that we're getting somewhere. Yes, there's, in the nature of language, we talk about a path from delusion to the ending of a delusion and waking up from being ensnared, overwhelmed by greed, hatred, and delusion to little by little being freed, to touching into this nibbana, that which is peaceful, luminous, whole, truly at home. So there's talk about 
a path. And, but it's, it's quite important in terms of our view, our way of seeing things, little by little, to remind ourselves that it's not that we're getting somewhere else. That this, the, the Buddha taught this heart is luminous. But we lose touch with that luminosity, what the Buddha called the original brightness. He sometimes called it the Tathagata Garbha. Tathagata means the thus come one. That's a, that's a way of talking about the Buddha, the Buddha nature. Garbha is also translated as womb, the womb of the awakened one. Tatakatakarba, or the seed, that we all have this seed, this potentiality, right here, the core of this moment. So to remind ourselves in a moment, where, where is the sacred? Part of the systemic, unfortunate systemic conditioning over Millennia has stripped the sacred out of matter. Matter can also, comes from a root that means mother. Strip the sacred out. This is just stuff to dominate. You forget, Kitty Charlotte says in the scriptures, we have dominion over the earth and the animals. Dominion, does it mean to dominate? And can it be a steward? caretaker is very different if it's just stuff to get what I want then we can project the sacred or the spirit somewhere out there strip spirit out of matter out of the body out of the relational field gets associated with some doctrine some something to believe in to go somewhere else The Buddha is pointing to a spirituality, a sacredness that is revealed by honoring this moment. This reverence, in a sense, reverence so touched me, in a way stunned me, seeing it, sensing it, changed my life. And I ended up being a monk for 15 years and then spent the last... 42 years where the Dhamma has been the center of my life. I was a student at Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship. And uh, starting to sense the drawbacks of ever being on that becoming wheel to go higher, higher, and I'll get to success. Don't get in my way. I'm getting there. But I was feeling tired. I was 24 and felt 104. still trying to get there to success to accomplishments nothing wrong with accomplishments but I sort of felt so unworthy in the depth of my being that you're only worthy if you can do something incredible doing something incredible is wonderful but there was I was moving away from this uh, lot of self-aversion, a lot of judging mind. It's one of the downsides of developing an intellect if one's not careful. It's a wonderful tool for discerning, exploring, communicating, but it invests reifying all these separations. If we're not careful, that 
the mind comes back and then just is a huge judging mind. Nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. While I was a, a, a student, I was feeling tired. I, something made me in, enjoy pausing and just stopping. I couldn't articulate why that was important, but I thought, oh, just didn't know how to do it, to meditate, but I just, just stop, listen. I went on my first meditation retreat. But near the end of the retreat, the the managers and I had a... First three days of just hell. My mind was just banging all over the walls. Because if you're into winning the big tournament, taking the good exam, there's not a lot happening in sitting and walking as you can see. I was introduced to being with the breathing and I did remember that there was one morning when I wasn't even meditating, just just standing outside in between sessions noticing the dew drops on a bush. Just the beauty of the reflection, the light, standing, being. It's a taste that was un, that was delicious, but such a different direction from the ever moving forward. But near the end of the retreat, there was uh, the managers told me there was someone visiting that uh, that uh, wondered if there was any place he could stay in Oxford. It was someone who lived in Thailand, an American doctor that had written a paper on the origin of thought and wanted to discuss it with Oxford philosophers. He was looking for a place to stay and I said, well, he can stay in in my flat in Oxford. So this was a confident psychologist, a scientist, Explorer, incredibly fit, strong, confident. He had walked across the North Pole, done all sorts of incredible feats. He was doing uh, studies on different monasteries in Thailand and giving monks personality tests and noticing the effect on consciousness over the years of... Uh, and, uh, personality of meditating. But then when he talked about a special monastery where there was a few Westerners, and then when he talked about the teacher who became our our teacher, Ajahn Chah. But when he said that name, and he said, he's enlightened and this strong, confident, unflappable, skilled in the world, man. The reverence, I'd never encountered it. That quality of honoring, quiet, wasn't shout from the rooftops. It was quiet. And right in that moment I knew, scholarship or no scholarship, I wanted to meet that person. Just from hearing, just from sensing reverence. We're learning how to, little by little, and be patient, realign our trust, to be open to the possibility that right here in this very moment, is the jewel at the heart of the lotus. The Buddha from the Sharangama Sutra 
this discourse Tanisra alluded to when she introduced the bowing. This discourse where Kuan Yin plays a prominent role because Kuan Yin's method of meditation is listening into the depth. This returning to hearing, the hearing to listen into this timeless nature. There's a quote from that sutra that goes as follows. The primary misconception about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, said the Buddha, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. Again, the primary misconception about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. This idea that consciousness is some little byproduct that's located somewhere. This notion that the mind is inside the body is that you do not know the body as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. Right now, this body this wonderful Mother Earth that's holding us. The sense of the firmness of ground. Aren't we receiving that impression right now? That sense of the body sitting. And the swelling of the body and subsiding as this body receives that vitalizing principle and lets go and relaxes and receives the vitalizing principle and lets go and relaxing. Isn't this appearing? It touches consciousness. It touches a knowing and dissolves. Just like this Dharma talk is happening within the heart of awareness. The sounds are appearing and dissolving. The sounds appear and dissolve, but the listening, the living silence, the ever-present, here and now, always inviting luminous heart, remains. Being with the body, breathing, as Aaron was beautifully guiding and introducing us this morning, is a wonderful pointer back to this present moment. As she was saying, the body is always here and now. The mind gets hypnotized, mesmerized by where I'm getting to, are anxious about what might happen. And there's a lot to be anxious about, what might happen in the world that we live in, and hoping and worrying. But it flits so fast, we can get so entangled. The Buddha encouraged that this first foundation of mindfulness, this path of Buddha Dhamma, of awareness and connection with how things are. Buddha Dhamma. This this foundation of mindfulness that leads us back home to this ever-present suchness that we overlook when we're caught in this becoming, always getting somewhere. He called this uh, practice of mindfulness the ekayanamagga, 
It's sometimes translated as the direct path. It takes us directly. But there's another way of translating it. Eka means, means single or one. Ekayana maga can also be the one-way path. It, it takes us to reality. This tending to the moments. Honoring with, with reverence that there is something precious here. Oh, it's just a bush. Oh, God, yet another tree. More ground. Oh, this mind, God, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then it's so easy to, to reify the sense of it's not here. And then that gets us so prone to the fantasy of getting somewhere else. Or getting rid of something. But to, to honor this moment, to remember that. The Buddha himself used this mindfulness of the body and being with the breathing, mindfulness of the in and the out breath on his own night of awakening. And he gave us some tips, some guidelines. He encouraged us to, to notice as we're attending to the breath. First, he talked about the long breath. If we're really caught up in, in thinking and all this being ensnared by the currents of the heart, mind, the long breath, knowing when there's a long in-breath, knowing when there's a long out-breath, very important. Our teacher, Ajahn Chah, told us what that means is sometimes it's just useful to take a long breath when we're getting, getting caught up. Really a conscious, quiet, deep in-breath, really remembering that we have the opportunity, especially in this stunning, natural setting where the air is so fresh. We can breathe in fully, There's no meters. There's no, oh, you've taken in a bit too much. Full in-breath. A long out-breath as we re-establish this connection with this body. On that long out-breath, softening the forehead, softening the jaw, softening the shoulders, the back, the belly, the hips, the legs, the arms, the hands and feet. What I've noticed is that it's very easy to get very cramped and, and we, we can become prana-starved, vitality-starved. locked in this separative consciousness of me with all the things I have to kind of work out, all the things in the world that are wrong. We forget that we're actually in an ocean of vitality, especially in the country like this. Yes, there are some places where if you're behind a bus, it's not so necessarily attractive to have a long in-breath and a long out-breath. And that's another issue. But here, to remember that, uh, that we as beings, we're not separate. We need the, what the trees breathe out, we breathe in. <coughs> what we breathe out, the trees breathe in. It's giving and receiving, this exchange. Even if we feel, no, I'm going to do it, I'm alone, I'm independent. Yes, on some level, but also just try stopping breathing. Even for a short time. I don't need to breathe in. I still feel fine. Still feel fine. I'm noticing an unusual... And then I can feel it permeating the whole body. I kind of... uncomfortable. 
and then breathing. <coughs> and feel the flush. Try this, really, just to stop for a little while. You don't have to make yourself almost die, but stop. And then take that breath and feel that subtle breath. There's the coarse breath. That's not a value judgment. The coarse breath, the air in, air out, into the lungs and out. But when one breathes in, one feels that subtle, vitalizing principle. Interesting that the word inspiration and expiration connected to the word spirit. There's a vitality, a living vitality that's carried with the breath, the vibratory element. That in-breath brightens, vitalizes. So the Buddha talks about being with the long breath and then being with the short breath. We can play with our breathing. Sometimes our breathing gets stuck, contracted. So you can even practice a little, with a little more, doesn't have to be heroic, but a little more sustained, longer breathing in. Especially longer breathing out if we're so trying to get somewhere or get rid of something. In the mindfulness practice, the Buddha talks about viveka, which means a kind of... It's a word that reminds the skillfulness, reminds us of the skillfulness of retreat. He talks about subduing, longing and yearning, longing and distress with regard to the world. There's a lot that we want and don't want. And yes, we, we can get back to that, but if we're always trying to sort it all out, especially if we're exhausted, then we've lost our resilience, we've lost our ground, we've lost our rootedness. And so it's useful to be able to, to, be able to say, to let be for a while the longing and distress, the longing and grief, the yearning and disappointment with regard to the world, just to let it be for the sake of returning and cultivating and refreshing this primary relationship of being with the way things are, awareness of body, awareness of ground, awareness of earth, this earth body that is held by Mother Earth and held, embraced by this underlying ground of listening. So one feels one's getting caught up, deep in-breath, a deep out-breath, and just slowly relaxing, returning to this moment, and asking the question, where is the sacred? This sacred heart, this luminous heart, the Buddha said, is always here and now but that we lose touch with it when we get hijacked and mesmerized by what's moving through the heart. Sights and sounds and sensations, thoughts. Because we can get so hijacked by our thoughts, as Aaron was reminding us this morning, and we can get kicked upstairs into this conceptual realm. In this practice, we're moving back toward the somatic because it's always here and now. And it helps induct us into another kind of knowing, an intuitive knowing, a direct here and now knowing. Yes, conceptual knowing has its power. It can be wonderful. Wonderful. 
But when that's the only way we know, then we can also get caught in views and opinions and they're this way and they're that way. And we've lost touch with that intuitive, what I mean by intuitive recognition, that that's just a thought. A thought of, this is the best way. We're better than you. I mean, that, that's part of the delusion that's infected our systems. White over people of color, male over female, control, profit. But when we're committed to listening, to attending to the way things are, we'll realize that every thought arises and ceases in this listening silence. So then Buddha encouraged us to get some perspective on that by using the body as an anchor by using the ground, the Mother Earth, and remembering to come back to this, especially these first few days. And he taught that this, there's blessings from this practice. As we learn to be with the breathing, be with the long breath, and then be with the short breath. Meaning, our teachers describe that means that as In time, we learn to find there's a place in the body and it might change where we're just being with how the breathing manifests there. Ajahn Chah quite enjoyed being with the breathing at the nostrils. As he started to calm down, he would just witness to be with the coolness of the in-breath, the warmth of the out-breath, that vibration. That just being with the coming and going. The breathing, as we calm down, becomes a little more, can become a little more shallow. Not because we're afraid, but just because things are balancing. Sometimes it's for others, it's more easy and natural to be with the breathing at the chest. Or at the belly, a sense of rising up from Mother Earth and a swelling of the abdomen and a letting go. And in and an out, a rising and a falling. And that can move, but in, in, in the blessing of being with the short breath is we little by little start to be able to be with the suchness, the, the sensations, the feeling tones. Remembering that this whole experience is all held within the heart of awareness. The next step the Buddha encouraged to also train, training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body as we breathe in and out. So we do a long breath in and out to just arrive back to little by little tending to the moments of our experience, whatever is happening. Little by little things start to settle a bit. Then being with the breathing, sometimes in more certain places as we're just being with that vibratory feeling tone. But then the Buddha is encouraging us also to expand the awareness. Like we can notice our hands, our left hand, fingers forming a soft fist or an open hand, the right hand. We can notice both hands and the hands and feet. The awareness can actually expand and notice the the whole body, a global sense of the body. From the crown of the head, whatever feeling tone is there, down through the head, the neck, the shoulders, the arms, chest, belly, back, hips, legs. However we sense the body, noticing that's tingling, vibrating. However we're experiencing it within awareness. 
the body within awareness, we then will notice that there's certain parts of the body that might be more tense than others or more numb than others or pain. Then there's a dance that happens. We breathe into the areas that are not so comfortable as we breathe out, expanding the awareness so that those different parts of the body mix and mingle with each other. So one of the blessings of this practice is that it's healing. As we realize when the body is held within the mind, then the different elements, the water, the fire, the earth, the air, homogenize, balance. Like on the beach, when Tanisha and I uh, are decades in South Africa, when we get stressed out and need to take a break, sometimes we travel down from the mountains north of Durban to the beach, the Indian Ocean. Sometimes at the end of the day, when we'll just see from all the traffic on the beach or some people who even are doing what they shouldn't be doing, driving their vehicles down there on the, racing on the sand, all these divots and tracks and stuff in the sand. But if one tends and watches, especially then in the morning, the tide coming in and out, it's the waves that come in and out, in and out, those billions of grains of sand, little by little, are smoothed. So even though there's billions of grains of sand, there's a uniformity, there's a balance, there's a unification. One of the blessings of this practice is that over time, little by little, we learn through doing something so simple, just pausing, listening, being with embodiment of the long breath, the short breath, training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body, and this fourth step is learning how to calm the body-mind. So rather than needing special circumstances, little by little by little, as we train ourselves to do this, this is how to take a holiday, a true holy day, a learning to honor the sacredness of this moment, receive the breath, brightening, on the out-breath, relinquishing. And yes, it's time to be worried and afraid and guarded, but then it's important that if we're always on guard, full alert, it is exhausting. And yes, nothing's guaranteed, but we can encourage ourselves. Am I on the freeway right now? With kindred spirits in a sanctuary who've avowed on the first night to make a gift, a profound gift. We all made a profound gift when we're training ourselves not to harm, not to take that which doesn't belong, not to exploit one another for our sensual satisfaction, not to use speech to mislead, false speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, meaningless speech not to use intoxicants. For this time, our, our, our elixir is awareness. The awareness is the alchemy. And that through this, we made a gift to one another, a gift to immeasurable beings, freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. So just reminding ourselves in this setting, nothing's guaranteed, but it's so that we're not always on alert. We learn how to practice pausing, relinquishing. It's where the long breath, short breath, 
playing with our awareness to little by little gather in the whole of the body, to calm the body. The Buddha talked about this blessing of samadhi, this unification, this is, is a blessing and it's also a blessing to ourselves and to our community and world because as we learn how to do this, we learn to access a joy that wells up from within. Not just knowing the happiness of getting what we want, which is chewing up, can chew up the earth's resources so that we'll never have enough. To learn how to experience that subtle joy of being, breathing. It's one of the great blessings. And then this composure which we'll be using as this builds, and be, let's be patient with this. We're metabolizing all the undigested restlessness, undigested trauma from what's happening in our country, in our world. Trauma, the, the violence, the, the lies, the deception, the, the abuse, the... It is traumatizing. But to really be able to effectively meet it and make a difference, uh, I believe, and certainly our teachers, the wise ones, have encouraged us to resource ourselves and find this ground again through, through Mother Earth, through the body that's held within awareness, to start again listening into the possibility of a sacredness that's here now already. Even this mudra, what's called anjali or respect, I was talking about reverence. It's called the prayer position. It's it's a very powerful tool just for pausing remembering. It's different from a a clenched fist and just back off. There might be a place for that, but notice what that does. But notice what the right hand, the left hand touching. And it's honoring the, the grace, the blessedness outside, but also the blessedness inside. Our Chinese master that uh, taught us about Kuan Yin, Master Xinhua, he talked about that position when the hands are together. Oh, maybe I don't have it here. We said it's something like, I don't remember, but when the hands come together, when they're apart, we have the ten minds. When the hands come together, we have the one mind. A sense of balance coming together. But this reverence and this gesture that we made uh, on the opening night of, was a gift to honor all beings. What he did say about that is, the Buddhas regard all living beings as their past fathers and mothers, as future Buddhas. All living beings on the great earth have the Buddha nature. All can become awakened. There's not a single living being who cannot become an awakened one. It is this very point that makes the teachings of Buddhism so lofty and all-encompassing. That is why the Buddhas advocate not killing, not stealing, not committing sexual misconduct, not lying and not taking intoxicants. 
Maintaining these five precepts is a way of sharing one's regard for all living creatures. Because the Buddha sees that all living beings are one in substance with himself, he wants to teach and transform them to take all living beings across to the accomplishment of awakening. We living beings come into the world and renounce the roots while we grasp at the branches. We forget the fundamental matters and turn our backs on enlightenment and unite with the dust, the wearisome mundane world. That is why we forget the Buddhas and forget to be mindful of them. Grasp the branches and lose the root. What's the root? Remember on that opening night, the Buddha talked that Tanisra mentioned that the Buddha said, at the heart of every moment there is freedom. Vimuttisarasa bedama is the phrase of the Buddha. Vimutti means freedom sara, essence, sabedama. Every circumstance has as its core, its root, is spacious, luminous freedom. Our time together, we're, we're not discarding the branches. We honor the branches, but we, rather than just being fooled by the appearance, the branches are the appearances, the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the thoughts. But we let every single one arise and cease and tend to the ground of listening. That's why this bowing, this namo, which means I've returned my life, that's why it's so long, Namo. I return. It's a relinquishment, a relaxing, to let every sound arise and dissolve. Well, we do a long in-breath, a long out-breath to relax. Be patient as we metabolize all these patterns and tendencies. And what can help us move from being locked into the conceptual world to more abiding with the going through the mysterious doorway of the somatic realm is using thoughts but moderating them. A shorter thought. That's how a mantra works. Mantra means guard the mind, rather than getting lost in so many thoughts. A single thought, a shortened, moderated thought, can just be enough to what the Buddha called vittaka. It's a kind of thought that points us back to our refuge here. Even the thought, How is it now? That thought's there and then it ends. But when the thought ends, it inducts us into listening to curiosity, to awareness. How is it now? And savor that gap before the next thought. And as we're being with the breathing, we can use a vitaka, what the Buddha called vitaka, a word or a phrase just to help us remember. Hold it very lightly, a little more firmly if we're getting lost, but we don't use it as a machine gun to knock other thoughts away. In Thailand, we were trained to use the sacred name of the Buddha. Just the word Bhutto. But what's so wonderful about it, it's not even the historical Buddha. Bhutto is in, is in nominative case. It means this Buddha, this, this timeless awakened one. As we breathe in, if we wish, we can think the word Buddha. So we breathe out, to. Breathing in Buddha. To. 
just means awake. And that word takes us back here now. We mix the word with the breathing, with the body, with the sensations. Or we can breathe in quietly, breathe out, puto. And it's like a bubble. It's there and it's gone. So it's just enough. It's, it's, it's a different kind of thought. Rather than thinking to take us away, it's thinking. You think, but, but Kitty Sorrow, thinking is what gets me in so much trouble. Yes, it's true. I get in a lot of trouble with my thoughts. But rather than, yes, when thoughts dissolve, that can be wonderful. But the Buddha is encouraging us to train ourselves how to moderate thought. You might use the word Kuan Yin, or even, even the word peacefully I breathe in, the phrase. Just peacefully I breathe out. It's just an, a sound that reminds us what we're doing and leads to what the Buddha calls vichara. It leads to a mind that connects and receives. Why, what blocks us from deepening in meditation is we sometimes use too much effort, then we lose it. And too much effort and lose it. We, yes, there's effort to point the mind. That's called vitaka. What am I doing? But what allows us to receive is the mind that feels into the sensations, the swelling and subsiding. So I encourage us to explore. Some people even use a number, counting with the breath. It's never been my favorite, but it can be all right. One, breathing in one, breathing out one. But it's it's just this word that then dissolves. The whole first level of jhana, the first deep calm, is accompanied by vitaka vichara, accompanied by that process of that conceptualization. So, so don't hate thought. We can begin to train our thoughts to remind us when we're lost. Oh, breathing in, breathing out. Another favorite phrase can be, for me, can be let go. Breathing in, let, breathing out, go. Just to remind us to relax. So that whole first level of calm is accompanied by this directing, receiving, and also by what's called piti or enjoying. We don't have to wait for big rapture. We can just practice savoring, just receiving and ease, relaxing. Even if it's uncomfortable as we breathe in and relax around it, that alchemy then just as the waves and the flow of the Tide smooths the sand, so too in these first few days we can metabolize, digest, calm and smooth to some degree our stresses and strains, offering a gift to ourselves and each other, and then preparing the ground for the uh, composed mind, which can then strong powerful, can see into the nature of things and wake up for ourselves and realize that, yes, it is true. We do belong. There is a luminous, ever-present core, always here and now, shining, illuminating every cell, every thought, every moment.
for those who wish to rest, uh, rest well. For those who still have some energy, there's some time to stretch and get some fresh air and have a, uh, a last sitting at uh, nine o'clock. Good night.